Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, the Intern Whisperer, and today's tip of the week is focused on leadership skills. Let's talk about team building. One way is to set healthy precedents for your team to follow. A good leader is the glue that holds everyone together. By cultivating an environment of collaboration and accountability that focuses on the benefits of teamwork, leaders can encourage employee growth on a collective level. Make sure to lead by example and collaborate with your team in a way that works for everyone so that you can give your people opportunities to practice fair play. If your team understands the impact that quiet quitting has on all employees of the organization, they're more likely to be mindful of their actions and behaviors. So welcome, Monica Quinones. To with um, to the Intern Whisper Show, uh, Monica is also a community builder and a therapist at ABA Alliance Therapy. Um, I am so excited to have you on the show because we're going to learn a lot about mental wellness and how what employers should be able to do. But we'll talk a little bit about autism. I know I I really was really grateful when I met you down at Orlando Game Space. Shameless plug um, for them. <laughs> that uh, you also have a specialization in that area. I do, and thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. I am so happy to have you. Okay, so I always kick off my show with five words that describe you and why those five words. And I know that you shared them with me in advance, so if you get stuck, I can help you. Awesome, yes. Um, I have notes too, so if I look down, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll start with creative, um, a listener, detail-oriented, loyal and outspoken. Okay. So mm -hmm. I get the idea of a listener because of your right. profession. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. But maybe you have another reason, but why do you say creative? Um, I say creative because uh, it's just something in my blood from just being very young. And uh, I always thought my career path would be something more in the arts, um, visual arts or photography or things in that route. But uh, what I like to do, because I'm so passionate about psychology and mental health, and now ABA, um, I incorporate my creative juices as much as possible. So it's just something ingrained in me. My mom is also an artist. So I think it's just something I grew up with. Nice. Mm -hmm. I think that there's also art therapy, right? There is. Yeah. Yeah. So that plays well into that. art is therapy just in general. Oh gosh. I yeah. mean, it is in so many different ways. Music is therapy. Animal therapy is also super, super popular and so uh, effective. I've heard, you know, mm -hmm. from several clients. So yeah, it's very therapeutic. Just about anything you love can be therapy. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. So detail oriented. Yes. Let's say, so why did you use that word to describe you? Um, because I tend to hone in on the details, whether it's in my personal relationships or just in my work ethic and, and the things that I, uh, I create or the things that I put forth in my work. I'm very, uh, I try and be as thorough as possible. And I feel like my expectations uh, tend to also kind of hone in on those, those small things. So in my role, I have to be very detail oriented uh, in what we do as behavioral therapists, we have to be very detail oriented because those can make the difference. Right. Um, you have to take service. notes, right? We do. We have to take notes. 
we create uh, behavior plans which are customized to each client and all their very specific needs. So it's very important to uh, look at the details and just ABA in general, right, uh, is supposed to hone in on the very specific behaviors that we're observing. So it's all about details. Mm-hmm. Loyal. Why loyal? Uh, it's, I feel like if you were to ask any of my friends, one of the qualities that I have, it's loyalty, whether it's a company that I am employed with, whether it's a friend that I keep close. Um, I feel like that's something that I have stayed true with always. And I think it's something I've just learned from the people who have been influenced to me is how important loyalty is and keeping ties close. And so, yeah, it just came to mind when you, when I was thinking about how I would describe myself. (laughs) So outspoken. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting because you, to me, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's related to causes or something but why that word? That word, I think, because as far as I've thought about my growth from childhood to young adulthood to, you know, now I'm almost going to be 30. I think that's something that's grown in me. Um, And especially, I mean, when I think about in the lens of my, of my work and I consider myself an advocate for my own clients and for my own families. And so, you have to be okay with having those conversations. You have to be outspoken. And in just in the nature of, of our world right now, I think it's important that if you're passionate about something or you um, have something to say that you feel comfortable with, you know, having these conversations with, with other people and, and being okay to kind of stand up and, and just uh, be outspoken in general. So I think just in the nature of how uh, I've grown, that's something that I, I would definitely say that I'm very comfortable with speaking my mind for mm-hmm. the for the right reasons. Yeah. <laughs> is there a particular cause that is super important to you? Uh, always bullying and and kind of thinking about that aspect in the education system or just with children in general. Um, I've always been passionate and I I've wanted to uh, kind of explore more of working with just women and. Um, and of course, with this field that I've been introduced to for the past seven, eight years, um, I'm very passionate about just working with kids and especially ki- children with autism and special needs. And mm-hmm. and um, there's a lot of advocacy that's needed, especially when it comes to their education, when it comes to services and um, just a lot of the, the role, even the role as a behavior analyst, we are little advocates for our, our clients because we have to fight so hard to get services for our kiddos and keep them all the you know services are approved by insurance companies and so there's a whole process behind uh advocating for why they need it and all the paperwork involved and mm-hmm. so it's very important yeah i was a public classroom teacher mm-hmm. well acquainted with what it is that you're describing yeah um because there's not many people that will fight for the kids right And if a parent isn't available, then it really ends up being the teacher. It's true. It's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is ABA um, behavior? What is that? Yeah. So ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. So it is a a empirically supported field. And it's the, you know, in layman's terms, really, what we do is we observe human behavior, and we try to identify why are these things occurring, right? 
uh, in the lens of working with uh, my population, we want to identify what are the behaviors that are occurring and what are the proper replacements, right? We want our, our kids specifically to um, thrive. We want our kiddos to feel as independent as possible. We want them to be able to communicate. And so um, just the general sense of ABA is to look at these behaviors, identify where are the deficits and trying to replace them and teach so that our children can be functional human beings and have meaningful relationships and be able to support themselves as much as possible. And also uh, incorporating our families and uh, getting them to a place where they feel really confident that they can also be a support at home across settings, things like that. So when I think about applied uh, behavioral analysis, mm -hmm. um, I had never heard heard of that term when I was a teacher. Yeah, I feel like it must be a, a fairly, I don't know, maybe five or seven, maybe ten year old. It's term. a young science. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's super helpful. But when you're talking about uh, uh, making or identifying these changes, is it only done in a therapy session, or do you? end up going out and observing the the child because it sounds like you work with predominantly predominantly children mm -hmm. do you observe them in the classroom or how does that work yeah so it depends on company <clears throat> but uh, as for as for my experience I've worked with companies that go across settings so we can provide services in home in school across community I've gone to theme parks I've gone to dentist appointments I've gone really wherever I'm needed and then, you know, you have your clinic settings as well. So um, it, it can be done in any setting. And um, it's really dependent on the client's needs. So if, and again, I'm just trying to make yeah. sure I understand it and I can mm -hmm. explain it to our listeners. And because sometimes predominantly people listen to the show. Um, it always helps to see and we have, we offer our show on video, mm -hmm. but when you're there in that setting, and I find it interesting that you said the dentist, so you're working with a child and when something happens, let's say it's a behavioral outburst, or maybe it's that they hit somebody. Right. Those are the types of behaviors I believe you're talking about and helping the child to see, no, that is not good behavior. How would you do something differently? Is that the scenario that you're helping with? It could be. And I, I think what it's, you know, yes, it's a young science. I didn't hear about it until I was in my senior year in college. Mm -hmm. So um, it is hard to understand. And, and so is autism in general, right? I think um, trying to explain it uh, in the example that you that you gave me, that could be a potential scenario. And what we really want to look at is where, um, you know, if, an, for your example, a child engages in aggression towards somebody, mm -hmm. okay? We want to look at that behavior, right? They aggress towards somebody. What is the reason behind that? Is it because there is a deficit in communication where we can teach our, our children to try and communicate, I am uncomfortable, or I this is an unpleasant experience for me? Right. And accompanying that with the appropriate coping skills that it would require for them to get through an appointment like that if it mm -hmm. is aversive for them. So it really is dependent on the, you know, whatever uh, we come down to as for the function of that behavior. But that's really the key of what we are trying to do is 
we see a behavior, we're not jumping to conclusions. We're, we're breaking all of these observations down into this is what we observed. These are the conditions in which the environment, you know, what is occurring in the environment and how do we provide that appropriate replacement for that maladaptive behavior if it is occurring, right? So aggression obviously is something that we want to uh, want to focus on if that's, you know, what the child requires. And so how can we help this child communicate better in that situation where they might feel they get to that point, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And there is just such a variety of, of behaviors that we, we, uh, you know, we focus on and, and again, there's just so many scenarios where it, it could be look very different. It could be even as simple as going to an appointment and, um, and just kind of getting through the duration of the appointment. It could be just the skill of sitting in a waiting room and waiting for, you know, you to be let into a, an appointment, um, even as simple as waiting skills like that. Wow. Mm -hmm. We take so many of these things for granted as yeah. an adult. And then we don't realize that there is a growth pattern that has to take place. Mm -hmm. If you have a child that has some special needs like autism right. or some, something else, just to be able to, really wrap your head around it. Now, as an employer, I know we're talking about children. I have found, because I've had several people with Asperger's and also autism work with me. One of the things that I noticed is that for the most part, they've all had extremely high, what I call ethic meters. They are, no, that's a bad word. You can't say that. And they'll call me out. I don't have a problem with that, honestly, because mm -hmm. I, I find it a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, but they'll also read things. They have very high for the ones that I've worked with have had super high intelligence. Um, and they are very good with grammar and being able to understand that when one time we were playing a, a game online because we work remotely Okay. and the game was two truths and a lie. And the, um, person working with us said, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, is it because we have to tell a lie? He said, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, but I want you to stay. Why do I want you to stay? And he understood it. And he said, because, you know, I, I don't have to participate, but um, it's team building and understanding my teammates. And I went, okay, yeah, then you're right. staying. So there's a, a line where they'll say, yes, as long as I don't have to do something that is wrong, but they do understand the other's side of the benefit, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I um to bounce back off of that, I feel that um, kind of what you're describing, I think I would name I would label as that rigidness, right? I'm not going to do this because there's this and there's this and these are the two boundaries. Kind of, yeah, exactly. And how amazing is it that your employee wanted to make sure you understand what their boundaries were? Mm -hmm. And you know, I do work with children, but children eventually grow into adults. And so why is it so important for, uh, why is our work so important is because we want to, them to get to that position where if they need to label what their boundaries are, they can, and they can identify that and also understand others point of view as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And so all of these things that we learn as typical human beings through 
having conversations through being in school and being in social settings and things that we just tend again to take advantage, like take advantage of that we learn naturally. Sometimes they need more practice. Sometimes our kiddos need personal examples. And that's something I love to do, especially when I have older clients who are getting into that, those conversations of what do they want to do when they, you know, meet high school and then they go further beyond that how what do they picture for their own lives and so um, it's super important for us to you know create those scenarios and I do a lot of role play when I'm in therapy um, if it's possible for my client if they're if they're at that level of understanding where I give them so many of my personal examples what would you do if you were in this scenario or you know, hey, hypothetically, if this were to happen, what's the best way to have a, a solution to this problem? And so we get into all those little nuances, you know. Um, but I think when it comes to employment and and what I really think that everyone needs to be reminded of is they call it aut autism spectrum for a reason, mm -hmm. because you can have uh, individuals who, you know, you you might sense that difference in them. You might kind of have that interaction and you have um, maybe some kind of social um, interaction where you'll notice that something wasn't communicated in a way that you expected or, and, and there's just so many different preferences that people have, right? You can go online and you can Google what are typical uh symptoms of autism, right? But that is not for everybody. That is not something that you will see in every single person. And that's something to understand is you, there might be individuals who aren't outward about um, this label that they've been given or this diagnosis. And I think we need to be very conscious of also, uh, you know, not feeling like we have to be intrusive into, into that kind of insight, but also understanding that everyone has strengths, just like any employee that you're looking to hire. I think it's trying to cultivate an environment and a culture in your company that uh, definitely highlights their strengths as an individual and as an employee for whatever the position that you're, you know, looking for. And also, hopefully and potentially you get to have rapport with this person enough to get to know what their barriers are as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would say that's important for, you know, if you're having an employee with autism, but also, I mean, any employee in your company, it's super important to understand and cultivate that kind of culture in your company that allows for people to feel like they can, um, you know, really be empowered with their strengths and, and understand their weaknesses and, you know, hopefully improve on them. If not, then, you know, they're, they're, you're able to kind of have a team that works really well together, even through those differences. So at the, um, <clears throat> at the Orlando Science Center, mm -hmm. the Sparks STEM Fest, there was a woman from a group called, uh, I think it's Ablement Group, and it used to be 2-6 Resources. Okay. I think uh, I remember the other name. They just rebranded apparently, and they work with individuals that have um, different types of disabilities. And one of them specifically is 
autism and, and also Asperger's. Um, they try very hard to help them find jobs that are adults. And that was an interesting conversation that I had with her too, because it's the same thing. They're trying to get a group of people so that they can be reliant on themselves. They would be contributing to, you know, our economy and also our, our, just our world and communities. But there's so many employers that will see them, individuals with disabilities, whether it's wheelchairs or mental or, you know, something else like they're blind or they're deaf and just see it as, no, I don't want to have to spend that time right. uh, with them. And that's what I really would love to do is to be able to uh, make sure that we're educating them, employers, yes. as to, okay, there's a lot of people out there and they all, they would be some of the most loyal employees. Like you described that trade as one of yours. They would be loyal. They would definitely be caring of that organization. And they bring something that's, I think, richer to that employer than what they could have imagined in the culture that's built around what I would call true inclusion and true accessibility. So I would love us for to be able to, even though you're talking about children, what is it that adults need to know, period, whether you're a teacher or you're the the parent of a child that doesn't have that, what do they need to know about people with autism? Because that ethics meter, I love it. I absolutely yeah. <laughs> love it. That's what I call it. Is it okay? They're really high on the ethics meter. They're going to make sure that we, we are doing a good job. Mm -hmm. They also are very good about managing their time from what I've seen and making sure that they hit the de deadlines and extremely literal. If I say something, I really have to make sure I'm being very cognizant of my words, my word choices, because they are taking it exactly how I say. Mm -hmm. So I think as employers, they should be aware of that. Are there other tips or suggestions you might have just for people that are trying to uh, work better with a, a group of people that they have very little knowledge of? Well, before I answer, I have a question for you, Isabella. Um, okay. You you describe your relationships with your personal like employees who you know have autism how did you get to, how did you know that they have this diagnosis um they were really open with me okay yeah they actually put it on their application okay and they wanted people to know that and I find that super refreshing mm -hmm. on the second point though I was a teacher so not everybody is a teacher and gets exposed to the mass masses right. right in the classroom so I had a lot more exposure through teaching but I also know that there was more openness. Otherwise, I think that people just kind of go, well, they're really odd. What's wrong with them? And right. that's not the right that's attitude. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's really the problem. And, you know, when I was thinking about, you know, um, how I how I think about if I was in that position or what are, what is something I want people to kind of take away is that um, the field of ABA is very young. And mm -hmm. so and and even the the uh, research and the idea of what autism is is still something that is evolving. It's still something that's not completely understood. So I think, like you mentioned, people have an interaction with an individual and they say, "Ooh, they're odd. Why? You know, why is there so many so much closed mindedness around that interaction?" 
And so first of all, individuals and employers should not look at an application and say, oh, autism, well, let's write them off. That's the first problem. Yeah, that's a problem <laughs> that's because a that violates problem. equal opportunity, <laughs> Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so one of the words I had put down, I had just put unassuming, right? Mm -hmm. We can't look at an application if the person is even, you know, as open as who you've experienced to work with to say that they have autism. And then beyond that, um, to assume that that means that they have any, like that they're set back in any way it to assume that, um, their, you know, intelligence level it is measured. It has any deficits. Like the, all of those things are misconstrued. I think for some reason, um, when somebody thinks of, of autism, they think that it has anything to do with lowered intelligence. That's not <coughs> the case at all. Mm -hmm. And so I think what people really need to do is check themselves at the door and say, okay, when I, when I read that word, or when I, find out that an individual that they know has it what what is their first thought mm -hmm. where does their mind go what are they what are the assumptions behind that and really employers need to kind of take a step back and say oh if if i received an application and a person was open enough to kind of put that that is something that they you know that is a label they carry with them um wh where does their mind go and how does that influence their decision Mm -hmm. You know, and, and really, again, it's about creating cultures that are inclusive, but really inclusive. And what does that mean? That just means taking the time and the effort to build relationships with your employees and also allowing them and making them feel comfortable enough to be open to each other as mm -hmm. co-workers, right? And knowing that just because an individual has autism doesn't mean that they're awkward. Just mm -hmm. because they have autism doesn't mean that they may have social inappropriate behaviors. That's not the case for every single person. Mm -hmm. And I see that every day. I have, you know, kiddos who really you would not know that they carry this diagnosis with them. Mm -hmm. They may have some, you know, areas where they need improvement, but it is not obvious in every person mm -hmm. you find. I, I mean, I'm on Instagram and I have uh, I, I run our company Instagram and I see these reels and I see individuals who are 40, 50 years old getting diagnosed not at that age. Wow. And and you're just like, wow, you know, so why does the label matter mm -hmm. when it comes to employment? Why? Well, yeah. I can think of one way that's positive. It's there to protect the, the person, mm -hmm. to make sure that they're not discriminated against, but it's also very hard to prove, right? Right. Yeah. So I it always kind of circles back to that because, um, again, you know, I think it depends on the individual themselves too, right? We were, if you're working with an adult with autism, it is their choice to be open with you and to kind of let you know, their history with that diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. um, not everybody has access to therapy. Not everybody has access to social groups and to social skills training and all of these things. So you don't know the steps that they took to get to that position to feel even comfortable enough to apply for a job or to go to that event or to meet these people, meet, meet a new individual too. So 
you know, I think it's, again, it's just checking your biases at the door, just like you would with any other, you know, uh, group, uh, unrepresented group. And realizing that you have to really, really work on not seeing that label as a negative. Right. Right. Or something that, oh, it's just so much effort to work around. Like Mm -hmm. that's just not the case at all. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, it's really looking at yourself and as an employer and, and as a coworker too, you know, and saying, am I looking at this person differently because of this? this uh diagnosis right? right if i if i work with somebody and and even with my own kiddos i i am very clear about my expectations of them and i am very transparent about my perspective um and i love to work on debriefing which is you know following an episode or following a, a difficult moment i talk about the entire process from start to finish what is it that happened why did it happen how do we you know change it for the next time how how does it make me feel right so I like to incorporate a lot of those things as well even though applied behavior analysis is very very much about the topography of the behavior right the field is evolving so it really is not about mental health at all the mentalistic is something that is not traditionally incorporated in behavior analysis at all, but we're treating human beings. We work with human beings. And so our feelings, our emotions, those affect the way we behave sometimes. And mm-hmm. so I refuse to ignore it. And I know um, there's just a lot of research and a lot of avenues that therapists are also considering to to use that and incorporate that into their therapies. But Um, We just need to be human beings and we need to be very considerate of, again, our differences and learn how to just incorporate them into the workplace. So there's this statistic when I was working with uh, NAMI, National Association, National Alliance on Mental Illness Mm -hmm. and in greater Orlando. And the statistic was one out of five has a mental uh, disability. And I thought, man, that's a lie. I think it's four out of five has one. And there's so many people that don't disclose because of whatever perception that's going to be assumed about them. Mm -hmm. And then if I flip that even further based on what we're saying is, so if we have applied behavioral, let me make sure I'm saying this exactly right, the way that you had said it, uh, applied behavioral, where is it in here? Uh, Behavior analysis, I'm going, well, it needs to be the people that don't have those behaviors also, or don't have those disabilities going through the same training, just so that we can be more inclusive and make sure we're being more empathetic to the people around us. Uh, It seems like we're focusing on only people with, with those disabilities, when it's the rest of us that need to be okay, if that was my kid, how would I want them to treat me? Exactly. If that was me, how would I want them to treat me? And really put ourselves in that place to be more inclusive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a a great way to to put it because always when we experience things ourselves, it really gives us a new perspective, right? Yes. So, you know, not every employer is a parent. So how are they going to put themselves in that kind of in the the shoes of a parent, if that was my child. But if we just take a step back and say, well, you know, when I had a deficit in a certain area, 
what if that one person didn't give me a chance because of that deficit? Right. So even as basic as that, you know, and it's really, it just maddens me so much to, you know, I, I, I know that, that, uh, that statistic is high. And I mean, I don't know if it's, if it's accurate, but I was just reading through a website, kind of getting a little bit of background. And I, and they said something like 90% of individuals with autism are unemployed. Like, you know, the I would believe that. and it's just like, wow, you know, and it's just, they're just fighting against a, a label that, you know, there's so <sighs> much education that has to happen. So Absolutely. that was one of the things that me as a as a startup mm -hmm. and being able to help people that need jobs. And specifically, I focus on internships. I went, what if we took away all of the, the variables that allow us to see somebody, whether it's their, see their name or see what they look like, whether it's gender, race, ethnicity, they look different. Why is it, you know, they're acting different? What if we took all of those things away so that you're really making a decision to hire somebody based on their, their cognitive skills, what's in their head and what's in their heart. And mm -hmm. so that's where I sat there and I went, okay, I, I can solve that problem. I really believe that I understood that because have my deep experience in education and also in the HR field. Mm -hmm. So that's where I built employers for change is to be able to say, so let's look at people with no labels. Mm -hmm. Let's look at, can they do these things in the job? Right. Let's look at six core cognitive skills. Then let's look at culture fit because that algorithm is there to, to strip away the things that people look at and go, Oh, Quinona's, I bet she speaks Spanish. No, right. I don't think so. You know, and then, oh, she's a woman. No, I don't think so, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't want to see those things. So after people get matched, then we we actually, in our platform, we allow the employer to send out a, a skills assessment, again, looking at cognitive skills in the head. And then when it comes back, that's when you, you are actually meeting the people that are the best, most qualified candidates, because it's no longer based on seeing the resume. You don't see the resume until you've been matched and assessed. You don't get to see anything, their face, nothing until you've been matched and assessed. Yeah. Because I, I feel so strongly about like what we're talking about, yeah. because individuals with disabilities, veterans, and then because they're used to working in large groups of people. And that's usually an enterprise company. And then there's internationals that can speak, you know, more than one language. I go, are you kidding? You're already smarter than me because you can do this. <laughs> right, right. You're so many benefits to that. To that. Mm -hmm. So those groups, when you hire those groups, they will stay with you and they will do the most excellent job. And people should pay attention to those groups is really what I, I advocate for. Yeah. And you know, that, that all sounds wonderful. And I think, how do we go beyond that and ensure that when they do get that resume and when they do enter the culture of the company, does it sustain? Mm -hmm. Are you, in, are you employing the individuals who are as collaborative, who mm -hmm. support that notion that you are trying to be as inclusive as possible? Mm -hmm. You have to make sure that's just within the fabric of the culture of the company that you're trying to grow that is that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And everything has to support that. Um, so it all sounds great. I think 
it's it's about sustaining that mentality right. and really allowing for the person to feel supported and to be able to contribute and and again i i think about accessibility even before getting to the point of applying for the job um you know one quality that is uh is common but again it's not it's not necessarily every single individual but when uh i see it all the time a lot of my children have very very strong interests very strong interests in certain things and so if that happens to be the quality of a, an individual with autism and um you know do they have accessibility to know even what possibilities of employment could they have in the future so what type you of know? things do you mean so i mean just just in general i have a kid who loves the solar system loves space mm. and it has been his core interest for years and years and years and years what if he wants to be an astronaut how is he going to get there in the future mm -hmm. what kind of accessibility will he have to get to that position where he potentially could you know em empl be employed with nasa mm -hmm. how does he get there right mm -hmm. how do children then young adults then adults get accessibility to the training that's needed for getting to that job mm -hmm. right and it makes me think of oh, there are vocational services there are like occupational therapy there is eventually job training opportunities I'm sure um, and I I have volunteered with um, different conventions and different like family services and I know that there are companies out there that do that but again, uh, if employers truly want to incorporate more inclusion, maybe we do, you know, events that invite individuals to come and explore what are the different, you know, opportunities for, for jobs or for clubs or for socialization that incorporate their interests. And so just thinking about that and what are, where are the opportunities there? Um, because again, accessibility is huge, right? Right to and when they're young it's to therapy and then eventually where does it go after that unfortunately and I hear it all the time we have all the support as children all the support that as they become teenagers and then once they hit 18 to 21 what happens after that mm -hmm. and yeah. that's that's something that um I feel I want to do more research about I want to see where can we improve right and um I think it needs to be kind of still in the conversation of how can we support adults with, you yeah. know, those setbacks. So one of the things that um, I did with the parents of these, these uh, students that were working with me is um, we would always make sure that I know that the parents were raising their child to leave them. That's the goal. That's okay. every parent's goal is to make sure that they're doing that. And they, they, the child can actually, the grown child can actually live on their own. So one of the conversations I had with one of the moms was, she said, well, I said, does he have, does he have a wallet? Does he know how to handle money? Does he know how to, you know, if he doesn't have a driver's license, can he ride the bus? Can he ride the train? Do you, are you teaching him how to do these things? And she said, oh no, I was, she was super afraid to have them. I said, then you will have a child that will end up not knowing how to live with without somebody taking care of them. You have to teach your child how to do this. Now, keep in mind, he's um, he's a senior in, in high school when he was working with me. And so he 
we would have him get on the train. They lived in Sanford and he would take the Sunrail down to where I was. I would go and meet him at Sunrail. So we know he, and he would text his mom and say, okay, you know, I'm on the train. I got off at the right place. Isabella's here. Mm -hmm. And then we walked to the building. And one of the things that I had and I didn't know if this was effective or not, but um, do you remember the movie that Sandra Bullock was in, Blindside? Yes. Yeah. And so she would go over and tell that to the the football player. And she said, do you see this person? That is your brother. Do you see yes. this person? This and this and this. And so I borrowed from there. And I said, okay, name a person. I said, your job is to get me across the street. You have to get me across the street and make sure you are looking both ways for cars. You have to do that for me and you have to do that for you. And once I said that to the person, they sat there and they went, okay, they paid attention. And that was the, the trigger. And so the mom had asked me, do I think that the grown child would be able to do that and take care of themselves? I said, I believe that person can take care of you if you would allow them to come out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. So I had seen different things like that with all of the people that I worked with. I had a couple, uh, I had one student that worked with me and he could only move his hands and he was a graphic designer and it, that's all he could do. But he was in a wheelchair. He had so much things, so many things going wrong with him, but um, he was always happy. His outlook was positive. He was very productive in the amount of work that he could do based on all of the challenges that he had. So again, as an employer, and I'm speaking to employers right now, you have to realize that you could have a most amazing employee with you and you have to allow them to, they may take longer. You have to be okay with that because what you're creating is a workplace and a reputation for your company. That's priceless. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm super and you know, super oh, passionate me too. about it. And it's, and it's great to hear <clears throat> because in the scenario of your student and the train and encouraging the parent that goes such a long way. Yeah. And that is a huge part of what we do as well. Right. Behavior analysts, we work very closely with the families, with the parents, with the caregivers, because, you know, unfortunately we, might get a family who feels hopeless. Yeah. They get a diagnosis, they feel hopeless. And so our jobs are to provide that encouragement, to provide the support, to provide uh, the background and the progress that gives them that hope, that gives them that confidence that they can carry over all of these trainings and these skills and they can do them across settings. And I'm telling you, the smallest feats just brings so much joy and so mm -hmm. much, you know, we just, it's you a just, huge accomplishment. It's huge. So for, for your student to exhibit that, right. To yeah. take you across that street and for mom to know, oh, wow, I didn't know he could do that. You know, and I don't blame her. She's scared, right. Mm -hmm. She probably feels that sense of if I relinquish a but little bit of control, me. of course, yeah. of course, she trusted me. And that was the thing that's super important. Yeah. Right? You have to have absolutely, trust. absolutely. And that is just the, the number one thing is to build that rapport. And, um, and then you, you kind of were that, that uh, navigator and give, giving her a little bit of, oh, wow. Like sometimes it just takes a parent to see, oh, wow, they can do that. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. Right. I don't think they, uh, 
intentionally try and hold their no, their children they're back just being but sometimes a protective absolutely absolutely and so like in the in the eyes of an employer i think just like i have a new employee i want to know what they want to improve on what are their goals how do they like to learn all of those things because i need to know my employee how they're going to be the most effective and that goes for anybody so you have an individual who physically has some setbacks, but are they able to do the job that they signed up to do and that you need them to do? Yes or no. Yeah. Why does any, why do the other setbacks matter? And if there are some barriers like, you know, having the time, like you said, maybe they can't do it as quickly as you need them to, or whatever the case may be, then being very candid about what those things are and mm-hmm is your, is the position you're offering able to accommodate any of those things? If they are, then why not? Yeah. Right. So we have to take a break just for our sponsor, Transcend Network, and we'll be right back. Transcend Network helps early stage startup founders find product market fit through weekly experiments, receive fundraising support, and build a global founder investor network for ed tech and the future of work technologies. The Intern Whisperer is affiliated with Employers for Change, and we thank Transcend Network for being a sponsor of our show. And we're back to the second half of our show where we talk about the future of work in 2030, what it's going to look like. So we've been talking a lot about things that from the previous that have carried over here. Um, But what are your thoughts about mental health analysis um, through apps, doing things without the human, actual human interface? What are your thoughts about that? Personally? Sure. Here. I am just such a, I need to feel touch, sensory, visual, right? But um, I feel like, again, it's increasing the accessibility for, you know, anybody who has a phone can sit and feel like they have support, right? I think that's important is that sense of that it's reaching more people um, that, you know, whether it be a recording, whether it be a meditation app, whether it be something that is a somewhat of a guide, right. And it gives step-by-step, I think knowledge is power, right. And so individuals who feel like they need additional support and maybe they don't have the means to go and get, um, therapy, but they find an app that gives them a little bit more knowledge about just, you know, uh, just insight on their own behaviors or maybe just even insight on emotions and just gaining a little bit more knowledge about that. Um, I don't personally, I'm trying to think, do I personally have any apps that I've been using? So I I don't have any, but I feel like what those apps, um, well, I know that there are some apps where people can talk to a therapist through Mm -hmm. a phone. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make sure like, okay, you're recording those sessions yeah. and are you, how are you protecting the patient? For sure. Those, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good and point. then, you know, if it's video, like, are you vetting these therapists out so that they're really real therapists? Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's my concerns. Those would absolutely, be my ethics yeah. concerns, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, of course, if you're going to take, um, you know, take something like that seriously, you have to do your research, right? And Mm -hmm. make sure that it is a trained, accredited professional. And um, 
unfortunately, there there's just always going to be that those pros and cons, right? I'll listen to a different podcast and I'll, they'll, they'll say, and you'll put a little asterisk and say, well, I'm not a medical professional, but this is what I think. This is what I think my diagnosis is. And like that, unfortunately people, I think sometimes are a little too comfortable to kind mm-hmm. of self-diagnose or they have those conversations just based on YouTube videos, based on <laughs> the TikTok psychologist who talks about, you know, these are the symptoms and this is maybe what you have, you know, it's just, there's always going to be that, that, um, that fine line. Right. But, mm-hmm. um, I think COVID just made such a big impact and it opened doors for just trying to reach more to individuals who, you know, can't go and don't have the time to drive, you know, 30, 40 minutes, maybe to go to an office to see it just really, I think is about the reach and Mm -hmm. about um, accessing more people. And I'm hoping that the quality doesn't suffer because of because of these apps or because of, you know, online therapy or things like that, but really is about doing your research and making sure. And it's so it's so personal. You know, it's so personal. I always have heard that you typically have to shop around for Right. You know, what's best for you or the individual who you're getting services from. So it's definitely something that shouldn't um, be rushed. You know, it's it's a whole process and just making sure that it's effective for you. So I had this guest on my show. Um, he was third week of of January. His name is Johnny uh, Crowder, mm-hmm. and he is the founder of Cope Notes. Now I met him at a Namigo event years, years back, and he was just going through college. He is, and he's open about it. It was on the show. He's diagnosed with um, schizophrenia. He had attempted suicide. All of this is open book information. He has a very strong uh, faith in Christ in Christ. So he's very open about that. He's a musician. He created this, this app called cope notes, and it's a daily affirmation that goes to whoever signs up, you sign up with your phone number, and then you get something every day, you know, something to journal about something to watch a podcast, if you will, uh, to listen to, or maybe a Ted talk, but different ways that you can feel better about yourself. I found that really interesting because I said, well, what do you do if it's somebody that could harm themselves? And he said, well, we do have information that goes out and says, if you feel that you're going to harm yourself, you know, you need to call 911. Um, And I found that interesting that here he is, somebody with all of these, we would say, cards stacked against him. Mm -hmm. And he created a solution to help not only him, but so many others that may not have shared that. So I guess the point of all of that is, is technology can do great things like what Johnny's doing, Mm -hmm. or it can do something that, you know, if it's not managed well, it could be hurtful. Absolutely. I actually reposted something the other day that said, um, I'm thankful to have grown up in a world without the internet, Mm. but am I thankful for it has so much good, so much, you know, growth become because of it, of course. Yes. Mm -hmm. But anything too much or irresponsibly is going to be damaging. 
right? So look at that. Somebody who from his own experience wanted to do something for others. And I mean, just how many times do people say, write it down journal, because it can be therapeutic for many people, even you have these strong feelings and strong emotions. And sometimes it's not healthy to let them out on another individual, right? So just to write it down doesn't, you know, when we're angry, and we want to express ourselves, sometimes what we what we want to say out loud is what we feel our truth is. And, and what is, you know, something that individuals say is don't bottle it up, don't bottle up because it will outburst, it will outburst. So hey, write it down. You know, the old say like the old, you know, um, suggestion, write it down, crumple it up, throw it in the trash, no one has to get hurt. Write the text, don't send it, right? Mm -hmm. Write the email, don't send it, let delete it, but let it out. So if that's an avenue that he created for individuals to express themselves and as their own form of kind of release, that's great. Mm-hmm. And and that is why technology can be so helpful and can be beneficial. Um, but when it goes too far is when it becomes damaging for individuals. And, you know, we see it, unfortunately, a lot, but mm-hmm. we also see a lot of good. Well, you, you touched know. on ethical dilemmas then. Mm-hmm. That was one of my questions. Ethical dilemmas. What do you think that could possibly happen? And I always, have you seen Black Mirror? I No. Okay. It's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. It raises a lot of questions and it's centered around mental health also, mm-hmm. but it's things of the future, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, taking consciousness and putting it into other things or beings and just so many what would be the word I would choose? So many possibilities of how things can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And so it's finding that balance. And I think that the takeaway from COVID is that a lot of people realized how I would say what it felt like to be locked up. Yeah. You know, like Mm -hmm. a prisoner Mm -hmm. and they didn't deal with it very well. So, you know, we find other ways of handling that and keeping balance in life. I think that's the, one of the best things that came out of COVID is the need to actually be more open about mental wellness and mental health. Absolutely. It's funny. It's called black mirror. Cause when I think of COVID and that, that time in our lives, it, it did give us a lot of time for reflection as a mirror would, right? we can't go against human nature. We are social beings. Yeah. So does that mean social beings doesn't mean that I, it doesn't talk about affection. So, you know, someone says, Oh, I'm not, I'm not that sociable. We are sociable beings. Like Mm -hmm. we have to interact in some way. Doesn't mean affection, hugging and this, and that, that doesn't mean that that doesn't even mean having to chat as much. Right. I, I know in a a previous podcast of yours, I was listening and they, you talked a little bit about being, um, you know, outgoing versus more introverted, introverted. Right. Right. And so, um, some individuals experienced that time in COVID and said, Oh, it was a time for me to just relax. It was a time for me to reflect on myself. And they had a positive experience, but many people felt that locked in felt that, wow, everything is stripped away from me. It's like everything getting robbed of you. And you, you know, especially in our country, we just a lot of individuals were just on the go all the time, always have somewhere to go, always have somewhere to be. And unfortunately, though, I think it did turn people more to turn to social media to go 
online and again too much of one thing can be damaging to us yeah for me it was very depressing yeah it and it's not because and I'm not a big person on social media and I Mm -hmm. it didn't drive me there either Mm -hmm. but I get my energy from being around people right and I I don't even have to have the conversation with them. I just like being in a room with people. people. Mm -hmm. So when I couldn't do that, and I'm in a situation where it's just me, I'm just going, I really, I really, really got super depressed. And I was asking, because I worked out of Starter Studio, I said, can can I just go in there and just work out of there? It's fine. There's nobody else there. (laughs) You know, I'll be totally protected. I just need to be able to get out of the, and I need the separation of, of work from home. Yeah. Like I r- really need that. Mm-hmm. So I know we kind of went all over the place with that, but I don't know. I think a lot of individuals that are, I don't know, I'm only basing it on a few that are autistic. They seem to like to be by themselves more is that would that be a safe assumption that i'm making or not i i don't think you know to be honest no okay. i have i have some individuals who love to be in groups who love to be with other people so again that's just something that we have to understand that it is so individualistic yeah you know this population again it's a spectrum i have kiddos who some people may label it as low functioning versus high functioning again you know i think what's important is that if you have an individual in your life who has autism and they are open about speaking about it it is important to build that rapport um allow them to feel support from you and ask them the questions if they are open, you know, again, we don't want to be too intrusive, right? We don't want to sit there and say, tell me, tell me this, tell me that again, it's a personal experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's also experience that the family is involved with. So I think, um, I have met incredibly social individuals who have autism. So, it really depends on the person. It is extremely individualistic. And if any, if another carry away that, you know, individuals, employers, whoever's listening can take away is that we cannot take that label and, and make these very specific, you know, um, assumptions, assumptions about them based off of a Google search of what are the typical symptoms, right. Of autism. It's just so there's just so many different experiences I've had. You are absolutely right. I know that to be true because I had seen during COVID that there were two people that were graduating from college that were nonverbal autistic. They, and I went, I did not know that I went, how is that? How is that possible? Mm-hmm. So I don't understand how they, maybe it's that they don't speak or they don't know how to speak, but they can read, they can write intelligently. They were the valedictorian of the class, but they don't speak. I don't, do you have any expertise in that area too? Well, um, when we, when we have clients and, and they are nonverbal, so what the you know, communication training then is, is essential, right? How are they communicating then? And communication is not only verbal or not only vocal. So when we say verbal behavior in ABA, what we're looking at are what are the avenues of communication gestures, Mm -hmm. um, even eye contact, right? Even, um, 
pointing, we have a system that's called PEX. So uh, you might see a, like an iPad converted into a communication device. We have uh, small pictures, which are the PEX, right? You might see a book with a bunch of different pictures and we, we may uh, choose the avenue of a, to teach PEX where a child will take a photo, give it to you, and it'll have a, the image or the item that they are desiring in the moment. So I'm not sure. I mean, I would love to see uh, see a little bit of background from from that individual who who graduated. And yeah, they wrote who's, who's uh, one graduated from my school, Rollins College, uh -huh. and um, she submitted all of the papers. She did yeah. all of those things. Apparently, did a PowerPoint. I'm I'm kind of filling in some of the gaps there yeah. because I know what is required to graduate from the school. Right. So when she was doing the valedictorian speech, she wrote it out and somebody else read it is wow. how that was handled. Wow. So super, I'll find it. I'll send it. To yeah. You. I'm, I'm just interested to kind of see the background. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's just so amazing. That goes to show that again, right? Like just the, the barrier of her not being able to communicate vocally does not stop her from being able to accomplish, you know, that, that, level of mastery of other skills mm -hmm. you know and so wow that's that's amazing to hear that um you know it just gives other people another perspective on just because they are have these barriers they're totally capable in so many other ways mm -hmm. yeah. it's so hard to believe we're at the end so <laughs> um what is the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners I think it is to always, um, always remember that you don't not have to ha know all the answers, mm. you know? So if you don't have an answer for an individual, it is the best model to be very candid about that. Mm -hmm. And, um, especially as a leader, um, of a, of a corporation, of a business, whatever it is. Um, we are always learning, and that is something that I feel is very important to be uh, a model and always a student as well as uh, as well as a teacher, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, how can people find you? Find uh, you know the company that you work with. Mm -hmm. How do we find you? Yes, so we have a Instagram. Um, it is at ABA Alliance. We have a Facebook that is ABA Alliance Therapy. My personal social is at Monica Jared, um, M-O-N-I-C-A-Y-A-R-E-D. And um, we are also just looking for passionate individuals. So if you're in Orlando and you're interested mm -hmm. in ABA, go ahead and you can email me at Monica at ABAalliance.com. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This thank has you. been a great show. I am sure our listeners are going to just really like this a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. Thank you to our production team, producer and editor, Josue Gonzalez, and music by Sophie Lloyd. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusion culture while skilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisper by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or streaming from your favorite podcast channel.